Welcome to Happiness 2.02 podcast. I'm your host, John Tuckums, founder, author, World Government Summit participant, and Forbes featured TEDx speaker, an inquisitive human who loves root knowledge. Happiness 2.02 is a mental health show for entrepreneurs that provides the full human cognition and the full breathing oxygen tools to rapidly shift states of mind and increase energy. Podcast guests include organization founders, world-renowned executives, MDs, PhDs, and remarkable leaders who have incredible stories and are helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen. You're listening to Happiness 2.02. This is your host, John Tuckums. You're listening to episode 15 with Dr. Shauna Shapiro. Shauna is an internationally recognized expert in mindfulness and self-compassion. A clinical psychologist, a professor, has over 150 publication papers, is the author of critically acclaimed books, and is a keynote speaker. While you're listening to this podcast, if anything stands out to you as thought-provoking or remarkable, take a screenshot and write down what you've heard from Shauna. Post the insight on social media, text the idea to a friend, or email what you've learned to a family member. Get this information out there. Without further ado, episode 15 of Happiness 2.02 podcast with Dr. Shauna Shapiro. Shauna, time is a finite resource. Underlying everything that you do across your life, your leadership, your books, your speaking engagements, why do you do what you do? Ultimately, what drives you at your core? Mm, I like that question. I agree that time is a finite resource. And I think a lot of times people believe that time is our most valuable resource. And so I want to start by saying, I think that attention is our most valuable resource. And I think people are wrong. I think that where we put our attention becomes our life. And so what has motivated me to focus and dedicate my attention to mindfulness and compassion is both from a personal perspective, I've felt how it's transformed my life over these past 25 years. And also as a scientist, I've seen how these practices can literally re-architect our brain for greater clarity, greater peace, greater innovation, greater compassion. And so um, I'm motivated by many, many levels. Yeah, fantastic. And you talked about uh, re-architect your brain and uh, you're really this kind of really understanding that intention, attention is the most valuable uh, resource. When did you have this awareness? Was it uh, in elementary school, high school, uh, kind of mid-school uh, that uh, you really came to this realization? Was it early on? And, and if there's any influences, if you'd share with the audience. Absolutely. I wish I had it in kindergarten. Perhaps we all have it then. Um, for me, what happened was when I was a teenager, I was 17 and I had spinal fusion surgery. So I had a metal rod put in my spine and I went from this healthy, active, athletic teen to lying in a hospital bed, unable to walk. And during the many months of rehabilitation, of course, there was tremendous physical pain, but the emotional pain, the, the fear, the loneliness, the the desperation, the fear of the future. Um, and I just didn't have the tools to cope. And so that's when I discovered mindfulness and it offered this pathway forward and this possibility that I could be happy again, which had completely eluded me up to that point. And so I started studying and practicing. And once I had recovered when I was about 20, I went to Thailand and Nepal to study in monasteries there and was so deeply, not just touched, but transformed by the practices and my time there that when I came back, I started a PhD program 
um, and really dedicated the past 20 years to studying the effects of mindfulness using rigorous scientific methodology to really understand how they can impact us, how they can change our brains and our lives. Fantastic. If you could share, if you could, with the audience, just a little bit more about kind of that moment uh, where uh, you've gone through this uh, spinal fusion, uh, incredibly painful physically and emotionally painful. Uh, just around that time, was it an article that you read related to mindfulness or is it something you just heard about from a friend? Mm, uh, it was even better. Um, <laughs> so my father, who I had had a very challenging relationship with in high school, as many teenagers do, I was very defiant and a bit wild. Um, so we'd been at odds, but I remember lying in the hospital bed and he came in with this depth of fatherly concern and love. And he gave me a book about mindfulness. It was called wherever you go, there you are by John Kabat-Zinn. And I remember reading the very first page and it said, whatever has happened to you, it's already happened. The only question that matters is now what? And it opened up this pathway of, of possibility of how do I want to meet this moment? How do I want to respond and put me back in choice? And so I'm forever grateful to my father, my, my first meditation teacher. And, um, and it's been really just a lifelong journey. Absolutely amazing. Uh, you talked about this, this, this possibility of shift gears a little bit and really getting to from, you know, really, you know, this experience through, you know, world travels, studying in monasteries, uh, into, uh, you know, research in a PhD program, um, as you kind of shifted gears and now you have this ability to access, um, you know, this, this new level, these new levels of happiness, uh, what are some of the experiences today that, uh, help you to get into that, that pinnacle state, that flow state, um, in your life? Mm. Well, I think first of all, what I'd like to say is it's a practice and a process. It's not an end point. So I would mm -hmm. say that, you know, one of the core phrases that I use in my teachings is what you practice grows stronger. And that's really at the heart of neuroplasticity. We know that our repeated thoughts, emotions, behaviors, they shape our brain. And literally in every moment, you're growing something, you're carving out neural pathways and pruning other pathways. And so for me, it's this continual practice that, that as best I can, when I first wake up in the morning, there's setting an intention for the day, there's stillness and quiet time. And then when I finish my meditation, it's not like that I can just turn that off. It's this seamless continuity of bringing mm -hmm. mindfulness into each moment. And I think that's what I really want people to understand is that that meditation is a practice. It's like going to the gym and building your mindfulness muscles, but mindfulness is a way of living. It's a way of being moment by moment. And I've created this model with my colleagues, a kind of scientific model of mindfulness that helps people integrate it through using these three key elements. So the first one is your intention. And that's simply knowing why am I paying attention? Why am I, what's important to me? Where do I want to focus? In what direction do I want to set the compass of my heart? And that's really your intention. What do you value? So even as you're listening now, just thinking about what do I care about? What are my goals? What are my aspirations? What's important to me? The second element of mindfulness is your attention, right? Learning how to train and stabilize your attention in the present moment. 
you know, for example, we've been speaking for about five minutes and I'm sure many people have noticed their mind has wandered off and that's natural. Our mind wanders on average 47% of the time. This was a study done at Harvard university. So it's pretty accurate. So about half of your life, your mind is wandering. So the second part of mindfulness is just learning how to be here, just be here in this moment where you already are. And the third element is your attitude. And this, I believe, is the most important and often overlooked. Your attitude has to do with how you pay attention. Are you paying attention with kindness, with curiosity, instead of judgment and kind of pressure? And I think that's where people go wrong a lot of times with meditation, is that what we've learned in studying the brain science is that when you pay attention in a very judgmental, critical way, it actually shuts down the learning centers of the brain. When you pay attention with kindness, with curiosity, it turns on the learning and motivation centers. So if you really want to start making change in your life, this attitude of kindness is essential. Mm, Absolutely beautiful. And can you show a little bit more with the audience about kind of as you, um, you know, as part of your daily practices, you really get into that seamless kind of continuity, uh, being able to go moment by moment. Can you share, you know, how that feels to you, um, you know, after you've done meditation, you know, your breathing or just uh, kind of that expansiveness, that awareness that, you know, the accessing new levels of creativity. I'd love to, for you to share with the audience. Yeah, there is, there is a way in which it, it's like a rotation in consciousness where the normal way of doing everything and kind of this kind of automatic pilot mode of being, you know, where you're just kind of like constantly doing on that treadmill, all of a sudden you stop. And then it's like, everything comes into focus and you start to see clearly, you know, the word mindfulness means to see clearly. That's all we're trying to do. And we want to see clearly so we can respond effectively. You know, Einstein has that wonderful quote. He says, the, the consciousness or the thinking that created the problem is not the consciousness or the thinking that's going to solve the problem. And I think this is especially important for entrepreneurs that, that creativity, innovation, they don't come from forcing the mind to think. They come from getting into these flow states, from rotating our consciousness so that new ways of creating, new ways of solving, new ways of, um, evolving can arise. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I love the, the way you described it, uh, rotating consciousness. Um, if we could shift gears just a little bit in terms of uh, what are some of the small things that you do to maintain happiness or well-being in your personal life? It might be going for a walk uh, midday or it might be a cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, you know, life has its ups and downs, uh, uh, either as part of a, a daily practice or a weekly practice. Mm, that's a great question. So, The first thing that I want people to know is that we're all born with a happiness set point. And what this means is that we're born, you know, by early childhood, it's formed. It's based on both our genetics and our early childhood experience, but it stays pretty stable over our lifetime. And this is based on decades of research that shows that if you win the lottery, you have this huge, you know, up level of happiness as we'd expect. But one year later, it comes back to baseline. Even more surprising, if you're in a tragic accident and you become paralyzed for life, you have this huge drop of happiness, but then one year later, you also return to baseline. 
So this is great news if you're born happy, right? Life knocks you down, you pop back up. It's not such good news if you weren't born happy. What is so exciting and so hopeful though about this new research in neuroplasticity and mindfulness is that it shows that even though changing our external circumstances, you know, winning the lottery, having a big success, buying the new Tesla, it won't change your happiness level. Changing your internal circumstances can. Happiness can be trained because the very structure of our brain can be modified. This is really good news. And so for me, what I've learned is that there are specific practices that can change my happiness set point that over time can actually bring greater contentment into my life. And one of my favorites is a gratitude practice that every night before going to sleep, I reflect on what I'm grateful for from that day. And I really try to be specific. What we've found is that when you bring in your sensory details, it acts as this tiny little flag or hook for your long-term memory so that you actually encode it. You actually remember it. So I'll, I'll kind of take some moments and go through my day. And I'll remember my son laughing and I'll kind of really go back into that experience. Or I'll remember feeling the sunlight on my face. These are simple things. They don't cost money. They're, they're simple things, but focusing my attention here builds happiness. And that's why our attention is our most valuable resource. And we need to be intentional about where we put it. So the gratitude practice is wonderful. And there's also some research showing that it helps with sleep. So I do it before bed. Another really lovely practice, and you can try it with me right now if you're listening, is to let your eyes close and then let there be just a gentle smile on your mouth. And it could even be just an internal smile. You could just kind of feel a smile and you even maybe want to feel it crinkling up into your eyes. And what the smile does is it sends a biochemical message to our nervous system that we're safe and we can relax. And just doing this simple practice throughout the day helps to raise our happiness levels. Yep, absolutely amazing. The the gratitude practice and the the smiling, is it something that you've done for so many years at this stage that it's almost automatic at this stage? Uh, And and I think uh, you talked about too as well, uh, is really happiness is something that can be trained. And is it really for an individual that hasn't done this or hasn't even thought about this that really they just have to get started? Um, How does a person get started? Exactly. Well, so I recently came out with a new book called Good Morning, I Love You, Mindfulness and Self-Compassion Practices to Rewire the Brain. And in this book, I offer a roadmap of specific science-based practices that can literally re-architect the brain for a greater clarity, as we spoke about, and also greater happiness. And you asked, how can you begin? The key is simply to begin. The key, and one of my favorite quotes from Kabir, he says, wherever you are is the entry point. So you begin wherever you are. And it could be the smallest thing. You know, people often try to do everything perfectly. That's not what change is about. Change is about evolution. It's about baby steps, right? Perfection is not attainable. You know, when, when you get to the end of life, it's that's the end. <laughs> we want to keep growing and evolving. And so what I invite people to do is to choose specific practices that are short, that are simple, that they can integrate into their daily life. 
And slowly that starts to shift the brain. And so, as you said, I've been doing this for quite a long time now. It's been over 20 years Mm. and you do find there's like simple things start to shift where you start to, you start to notice things that you're grateful for throughout the day because the mind is primed for it. It starts to kind of scan the environment for the good instead of scanning it for danger and negativity. Yep. Absolutely amazing. And so this is, this is something that, uh, you know, a a person can at any point in time in their life, they don't have to be, you know, wait till they're a certain age. Uh, (laughs) What's, I guess, what would be a good age uh, or is there a best, best age to begin? Now, now, and now, um, in, in Buddhism, I love, they, they say that whenever you begin meditation, that is your age. So, you know, even if you're 60 years old and you began last year, then you're a one-year-old baby. (laughs) And so what I think is so hopeful, and, and it was really the core message of my book is, is that no matter how old you are, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what has happened to you, it is never too late to rewire your brain. It is never too late to change. And that is based in science, and it is such a hopeful message. Absolutely amazing. And, and can you share with uh, the audience too some of uh, you know kind of the, the scientific uh, uh, you know, references that you had uh, as you're writing this book? Uh, some your own, obviously, but imagine too you're you're uh, you're building upon a, a tremendous body of work uh, that uh, you know over the decades, over the millennia, so to speak, that that are incorporated into your book. So. I'm a scientist and I really, um, I think it's really important to use the science to help us determine what are the most effective practices and for whom and and how do we teach them. And I've spent, you know, the past 20 years, I've published 150 research papers looking at the impact of mindfulness. And what I'll say is that, you know, now there are thousands upon thousands of research studies showing that mindfulness is good for us. It decreases cortisol. It improves our immune functioning. It helps us sleep better. It also leads to greater creativity and innovation. You can actually see where the areas of the brain that have to do with um, memory and learning and attention and compassion and empathy grow bigger and stronger in people who are meditating, people who practice. And so mindfulness, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people think of it as just a stress management technique, but it's so much more. It develops the capacity to learn. It develops the capacity to meet novel situations and to come up with creative solutions. And part of that is through getting us out of our fight or flight stress response. And part of it is we're literally growing pathways and new connections, new neural connections that allow us to think more clearly, that allow us to feel more more clearly, allow us to not only regulate our emotions, but actually feel our emotions and also to feel other people, to you know really um, help our mirror neurons be activated so that our empathy centers are turned on. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, in, in terms of that journey for an individual, uh, you, t- you touched upon uh, misconceptions. Are there any other misconceptions that uh, you just like to kind of share with the audience, address with the audience that, uh, you know, you've had this unbelievable journey 
uh, throughout your own recovery uh, related to this spinal fusion, you got to study with probably you know the best in the world as it relates to uh, you know spending time with the people that are practitioners their entire life, uh, and now you've been able to apply science, so evidence based. Um, what are some of the, the misconceptions, uh, or if you want to just expand upon what uh, you, you kind of shared there as it relates to, to meditation? Absolutely. Um, I think, in fact, in, in my book, I have a whole chapter on myths about mindfulness, because I think there are so many misconceptions. So some of the ones that I often hear are one, <clears throat> that I'm terrible at this, you know, that my mind wanders off, that I'm just not meant to meditate. And so what I tell people is that everyone's mind wanders. That's how the mind works. Mindfulness isn't about having a perfectly quiet mind. It's about learning to see the mind clearly with all its chaos and confusion and ideas and hopes. So that's the first one. The second one is people often think that mindfulness takes too much time. Like they don't have time to meditate. The truth is that mindfulness actually saves time. It increases our clarity, our attention. And when we're less distracted, we make fewer mistakes and we save time. Um, Another common myth is that um, mindfulness is just a stress management technique, as I mentioned before. But mindfulness, it not only helps us with stress, it also enriches all of our moments, the big moments, the small moments, the good moments, the bad moments. It's, It's not only helping us through tough times, it's also deepening our joy. And I think that's so important. Um, and then I'd say the last myth that, that people think is that mindfulness is just about meditation. And as I shared earlier, mindfulness is a way of being. It's a way of living our lives, helping us go from automatic pilot to really engaging and meeting life fully. Absolutely amazing, and that, that that piece in terms of being, um, and you know what I heard from you too as well. Just there's so many benefits that uh, for an, a small investment of time, it doesn't have to be hours. That uh, you have these tremendous uh, benefits uh, across your life. Um, where can people find you, Shauna? So you can find me at drshaunashapiro.com. That's my website, and I have lots of free meditations and resources and videos and papers there. And I always respond. So if you email me directly from there, I will respond and I would love to hear from you. And and Shana, do you have any parting words for the audience? This remarkable journey that you've had across your life that um, you you went to a really, really hard spot, really low point in your life in terms of this final fusion, now being able to find uh, new levels of happiness and being able to to, work with remarkable people and have experiences abroad around the world. And now being able to, you know, to bring this message to the world. Do you have any any parting words for the audience? Hmm, Thank you. I love that. Um, For me, the most important thing is to know that you're never beyond reach, that it's never too late. And having that faith in your own good heart and in your own capacity to change. I think for me, that was really a turning point is to know that this was possible. And that gave me hope. Absolutely amazing. Shauna, thank you for your leadership, your books, your speaking engagements, and all the happiness oxygen you bring to the world. And a tremendous thank you to all the listeners. As always, this has been your host, John Tuckums. 
you have made it to the end of the podcast, it's your host, John Tuckums. I want to take this moment to sincerely thank you. I'm incredibly grateful for the time you are taking to invest in your life. And if you gain something valuable from this episode and want to give me value somehow, I would tremendously appreciate if you went to Apple Podcasts, iTunes. If you have an Apple product where you listen to this podcast and leave this show a review, you are free to send me a message or email. Contact information is in the description below. Thank you again for listening and thank you for your contributions in helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen.